be seated. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Acts. This morning I am seeing you more clearly than I ever have. Uh, I was prescribed some glasses. um, And I decided to, uh, yeah, praise the Lord for my weakness. Uh, I decided to wear them while I'm preaching so I can spot the people sleeping in the back. You guys have apparently been escaping for the last several years. Acts chapter 11 is where we will be this morning as we conclude together our mini-series on the mission of our church. When we talk about what the mission of our church is, really what we're asking is, what's God doing in the world? Like, what's he up to? From the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we see a God who is creating the world to reflect his magnificence, to reflect his beauty and glory and strength and power and wisdom, that he is the only being in all of the universe that deserves all of the praise. Mountain peaks reflect the vastness of God. Oceans and the depths of them reflect the depths of a God that finite creatures cannot know fully apart from the grace of that God. But there was one special creature that would reflect to God most perfectly. And that would be in his image bearers. In people whom he would create for community with each other and community with their creator. Genesis was a picture perfect moment of communal life between people and God. And in that communal life between people and God, there was glory. There was love given and received until the fall, right? Which obliterated communion both between God and man and between man and man. And what the story of the Bible is, is the story of a gracious God who did not decide to destroy his rebellious people, but a God who decided to redeem them. A God who decided to make a way for them to be forgiven. A God who decided to make a way for that communion to be restored between God and man, but also between man and man. What What the story of the Bible is, is a redemption story where God is restoring to the world what has been broken by our sin. When Jesus shows up on the scene in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark that we've been studying for the last year and a half, Jesus shows up on the scene and he has a message and the message is, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a restoration project to bring all it is back under the rule and reign of the one true king. And Jesus says that kingdom is at hand. It's coming into the world. But then when Jesus began to describe what that kingdom was, what he began to describe was a new vision for human flourishing in the world, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. When Jesus began to talk about the kingdom of God, what he began to talk about was a transformed people who now relate to the world and to each other and to the Lord in different ways than the broken world currently resembled. What Jesus began to promise was a new vision of human flourishing and a new kind of community where relationships were restored with God and with man. And Jesus made this promise, I will build my church. Now, how does Jesus intend to do that in the scriptures? Well, first, he must restore relationship between man and God. He must die for the sins of men that they might have their sins covered and paid for that they can come into the access of in the presence of God Jesus came to die for my sins that I might stand in the presence of a holy God who wants nearness to me not distance from me and through the blood of cross the cross he makes that possible through resurrection he makes that possible but the story doesn't end at Jesus death and resurrection Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, and in Acts, the book of Acts was also written by Luke, and the way that Luke begins the book of Acts is he refers back to his first book, and he says, in my first book, I discussed all that Jesus began to do and teach. The assumption is that the book of Acts, therefore, is what Jesus continues to do and teach in the world. So what is it that God is doing now? What, what's the plan now that Jesus has come and lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we deserve to die and rose again to new life to give eternal life to, to you, a life you could have never earned yourself? What's God doing now? Well, the book of Acts tells us that Jesus ascends to the Father and then he pours his spirit out upon his people because they have work to do. They have a mission to fulfill. They have something to accomplish. The Spirit of God would come into the world and the Spirit of God would begin to accomplish that vision of human flourishing that Jesus had been preaching about. The Spirit of God would come and he would make people new. He would change their hearts and he would empower them to spread the best conceivable news in the world, to the ends of the earth. His spirit would guide people to fulfill the Great Commission. Listen to how Peter describes in his opening sermon to the Christian movement. Listen to how he describes what happened when Jesus ascended to the Father in Acts 2.32. He says, this Jesus God raised up, and we're all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are you yourselves are seeing and hearing christians this is the age that we live in the spirit of a holy god is working in the world through us to build christ's church to restore what has been broken now in part, but one day in full, what God will do is restore to the world communities of faith where human flourishing is enjoyed in the presence of God and one another forever and ever and ever. But in this broken world, where we taste it, where we experience the promises of God in part is in these things called local churches. Churches. 
The book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do through the Spirit in planting local churches and communities that would serve almost like foretastes of the future deliverance to come. What we just did in singing, Behold Our God, right? All together corporately with one voice, all the different backgrounds and ages and races and and struggles represented in this room. When we sang, Behold Our God, what did you get? But what you got was a foretaste, a small picture of what will be experienced in full, standing before the God of the universe, where millions of people behold their God. Churches are little kingdom outposts of a future reality that every Christian has been promised. We see in the book of Acts, the way that the book is even structured is what Luke does is he gives you snapshots of what this new church life was going to look like. And the first snapshot that we receive is in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, which you should know well, right? In verse 41 of chapter 2, those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus' vision for human flourishing was coming to life in a spirit-filled group of people who gathered together around the same Savior. This is what the church is. This is what Jesus promised to build, but Jesus also promised that in the building of this miracle community, it would not be easy, right? The promise was, in this world, you will have tribulation. The church there in Jerusalem would soon realize that that they were not in the not yet yet. They were not in the final of the story yet. This community was not a perfect one, right? When God started striking people dead in Sunday school for lying, right, in Acts chapter 5, they recognized this ain't it. This isn't the fullness of what we've been promised. This is in part. We got some things to work through as we live on mission in this world. And one of the things they had to work through was persecution, right? Things start getting out of hand. Stephen gets stoned. Persecution amps up. People run from Jerusalem, having believed in this Jesus, and they land in the city of Antioch. The city we've been looking at for the last three weeks. And what the author of Acts does again is he provides us a snapshot, not of the church of Jerusalem, but he provides us a snapshot of the church that's now planted in a city over 300 miles away in the city of Antioch in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, many Jews and Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. They're turning to the Lord, and the people in Jerusalem hear about this, and they say, there's no way, there's no way that there's legitimate Christians in Antioch. 
So they send Barnabas to check it out, and Barnabas goes to check it out, and not only are there legitimate Christians, but Barnabas, it says that Barnabas sees the grace of God in these people, and he was glad. And not only did he see the grace of God in this new church being planted and was glad, but Barnabas was compelled to stay. What he recognized was that this new church, this new expression of God's grace in the world, what they needed was discipleship. What they needed was to learn about the Lord Jesus they were now following. And so Barnabas says, let's get the best teacher that I know. I'm going to go get Paul from Tarsus, bring him here. And they spent a year teaching the believers in Antioch about what it is God is doing in the world. Now that's where we pick up this morning. That was all introduction, so you better be ready, right? If you do not have a Bible this morning, I got guys in the back that are jumping up and down saying, we got Bibles, uh, you can slip up your hand and they will bring you a Bible. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 11, verse 27. So if you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand, they'll bring you one. And we will begin reading in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. This is just after we've been told that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now let's just pause, breathe for a moment, and pray that God might teach us by this example. Father, we come to you, and I come to you, and I just ask, Lord, that you would please remove me from this moment of preaching And by the power of your spirit, just as you spoke in the days of Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13, would the spirit of God speak in this place? As we look upon what you've done in the past and we look forward to what you will do in the future, we ask God that you would prepare us to be faithful servants who will give ourselves to loving you, to making disciples, and to planting churches by your grace. And for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 11, things are going good in Antioch, right? People are coming to faith in Jesus. Supernatural unity is being experienced. They have perhaps some of the best teachers in Christian history. I mean, people's lives are being totally transformed, so much so that the city has given them a new name, Christians, little Christs. They're so different from the rest of the world, we need to come up with a new title to describe what we're seeing about this community of faith. They're little Christ people. And as far as we know, at this point in Antioch, as far as what we have on record, persecution has not disrupted their fellowship yet. They're living the church life dream, right? Verse 27 and 28, however, is sort of the first interruption to that church life dream. 
The Spirit of God overtakes a man named Agabus. Agabus stands up in the midst of the gathering. He warns the congregation of a coming famine. And this famine was a historical reality as as there's these parentheses in your scriptures that remind us this took place in the days of Claudius. What we hold in our hands is not a fairy tale or a myth or a made-up story. This is a historical book that coincides with historical realities. There really was a famine in the 40s AD during the reign of Claudius. So they hear that famine is coming, it's going to get worse before it gets better, and what you might expect that the church at Antioch would immediately begin to do, you might expect that they would immediately begin to make preparations for their own church or their own ministry that they would hope to do in the city so they can see more people come to faith, so Antioch Community Church can have a better reputation in the community, right? But, but that's not what we have on record. What Luke records is a conversation about the church in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was 310 miles away. It was a place that many of them had fled from. But despite the distance, what happens is a concern for the tr- church in Jerusalem sweeps through the church in Antioch. Verse 29 says, says the disciples determined. They decided together. This is a corporate decision. This wasn't something that Paul and Barnabas says, this is what you got to do and people like out of guilt. No, no, no. There's, there's a corporate sort of deciding here of the congregation. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to brothers living in Judea. The disciples And Antioch are not primarily concerned with self-preservation. They're not solely concerned with the mission of their own church. The Spirit of God leads the people of God in this moment to give sacrificially for the preservation and the mission of another church over 300 miles away in a historical moment where traveling 300 miles was not as simple as getting in the car. Now, there had to be, right, some deeper theological convictions at work here. I mean, you don't give money to something in a sacrificial way, right, unless you think it's important. Unless there's some sort of deep conviction happening with inside you that says, this is part of my responsibility as a Christian person. There had to be some sort of deeper belief that drove the church to respond in this way. And I think some of those deeper convictions are convictions that are lost on much of the American church ministry climate. Truth number one. This is one of the convictions that they had to have had to have responded in this way. The mission of God is bigger than one church. The mission of God is bigger than one church. Antioch Community Church, or First Baptist Antioch, whatever you want to call it, I don't know, (laughs) recognized that God was working not just in Antioch. That when they left Jerusalem, God just didn't hang it up and say, well, this place is full of persecution, we're just going to move on to the next place. There was a conviction that God was still had something to do in Judea 
for the purpose of the global mission. This kind of decision was not a random gesture of kindness. It was the result of teaching that they'd have sat under for a year that would have reconfirmed to them over and over again that the kingdom of God never was something that was going to revolve around one church in one location. The great commission as given by Jesus was global and was expanding to the ends of the earth. That Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That Jesus told his disciples to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now how could the mission be a mission to all nations if disciples of Jesus only ever considered the needs of themselves and their own churches and their own neighborhoods? How could the mission ever expand to the ends of the earth if everybody always stayed put in their little communities where they were most comfortable? If the glory of the Lord was to fill the earth, if the disciples of Jesus were going to, was, were going to go to the unreached peoples of the world, then the disciples of Jesus would have to be the kinds of people who looked beyond themselves, even beyond their own churches, even beyond their own locations, and especially beyond their own comforts, to places where the gospel was needed, and places that they would have to sacrifice for in order to get the gospel to those places. The Antioch church did not see the Jerusalem church as the competition. They did not see the Jerusalem church as a distraction from the mission. What they saw in the Jerusalem church were brothers and sisters in Christ, co-laborers in a global mission to spread the best conceivable news of eternal life to a world that desperately needed it. St. Rose Community Church we in this room would not exist as a church if it were not for individuals looking beyond their own community to another community. First Baptist Church of Kenner, in the history of our church, saw a need in St. Rose, and that congregation corporately decided to send their own members to this place to start a new church building. To not building, to start a new church in an old building. There's many people in this room that are born again because they heard the gospel on the lips of people who had moved into this community away from their homes just to get the gospel to be preached here. St. Rose Community Church has been on the receiving end of sacrificial support from other churches. I mean, when the hurricane hit last year, we were out of power for what, close to six weeks? Felt like six months, right? We were running ragged all day, every day, cutting trees, gutting houses, tarping roofs, organizing supply centers. I looked like a different ethnicity. I'd been on the roof for six weeks, right? I did. We would roll in here covered in dirt and grime and, I mean, just dragging over here to the front of the building at the end of the day because what, you're going to go home and chill in your A.C.? We would drag right here at the end of every day, and and every other day what we would see, we would see the smiling faces of Emmanuel Community Church, another church plant from mid-city, and they'd made meals for all of us. And they're smiling for us and giving us cold drinks and giving us food with nothing to gain, 
No, no, they weren't posting all social media, all about all the cool things they were doing for us, whatever, nothing to gain. They simply wanted us to keep pushing the gospel into this community that needs the gospel. I, I, I am so grateful to that church and the example that they set for me to be the kind of church leader that doesn't just care about us, but cares about the mission of God in the world. They believed that the mission of God was bigger than one church. And we, St. Rose Community Church, we better believe that too. Because St. Charles Parish, I mean, you just put some numbers on it. St. Charles Parish has 50,000 residents. I mean, we can, we can fit about 180 to 200 people in this room, and you'd be real uncomfortable. Just shoulder to shoulder. So as it stands, right, if the mission of God is all about St. Rose Community Church, we could reach 0.004% of St. Charles Parish and have them gather together with us in worship here. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping that more than 0.004% of St. Charles Parish meets Jesus and, and has heard the message of eternal lives. We need Grace Point Church in Destrehan and First Baptist Church of Norco and First Baptist Church of Luling to be gospel preaching, biblically sound, healthy churches who reflect the gospel to their communities. And if there's any way we can help do that, we want to do it. You may not know this, but, but ev- th- these efforts are happening in our church all the time. We have a River Parish uh, pastor uh, prayer breakfast happening this Friday at which, right, we give away good books, we introduce topics of discussion, we try to encourage pastors into deeper connection with each other and into more faithfulness to the scriptures in their ministries. We've been working with FBC Luling for over a year now, trying to help them uh, uh, find a pastor and be revitalized as a church. And praise God, we think that they, they have called now a Bible-preaching, solid man of God who's on the mission field in Kenya right now. He's going to move back to Luling to start preaching the word there. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. We want that to happen. We want them to, to grow in godliness, There are 14,000 people in Luling. They need a healthy community of faith. If there's anything we can do to help them, we want to. I love that Mark Dever says this. He's a pastor on Capitol Hill, and he says this to young preachers. He always asks them this question. If you pray for revival, but it comes to the church down the street, would you still praise the Lord? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Antioch understood that the mission of God was bigger than one church, but they also understood that the mission of God was bigger than one person. Look at truth number two, the mission of God is bigger than one person. It's an amazing thing that they deeply cared and sacrificed for the church of Jerusalem. But what's even more stunning are the two guys that they decide to send to Jerusalem with the funds. Acts 11 verse 30 tells us they decided to give all this money. They did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they purposefully sent their best teachers, most dynamic leaders, to make the dangerous journey from Antioch to Jerusalem with donations in their pockets. (laughs) They send their most gifted leaders into the most dangerous situation. I mean, are they not concerned that if something were to happen to these guys that really helped the church get established, then Antioch would die? Are they not concerned that that the people would leave or grow disinterested in the absence of Paul, the apostle, who met the resurrected Jesus? 
Well, apparently they were not concerned, or at least that concern did not detour them from sending Paul and Barnabas for the mission. In fact, in Acts 13, we see they're actually willing to sacrifice these brothers permanently for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. You spring forward to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul and Barnabas have gone to Jerusalem. They've returned from Jerusalem. They're ministering in the church once again. All is good. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now they were in church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, We can read through those three verses super quickly. You recognize Paul and Barnabas had some meaningful relationships in this local church. I mean, they they had now been serving for at least a year, and we don't know how much longer than that, but at least a year they've been serving with these people, grinding it out in the spiritual warfare, leading people to Jesus, teaching daily, meeting in homes. And the Spirit of God says, send them out. In a world where you can't call them, you can't FaceTime them. You may never see them again. It's just an easy that there'd be a shipwreck or something happen. The Spirit says, send them out. Send out the guy who's preaching at your church, whose ministerial calling actually came from the resurrected Jesus himself. He's hands down one of the sharpest theological minds in the history of the world. Barnabas was known throughout the Christian movement such that that his unique generosity, his contagious kindness, his comforting encouragement. I mean, these two guys were church leader rock stars. And the Spirit says, send them out. And Antioch does it. Now, theologically, they did it knowing that it's God who builds his church, right? By his grace and for his glory. God is building his church in Antioch with or without Paul and Barnabas. But practically they did it also because Barnabas and Paul had already created a culture in a church where the church did not depend or worship one person. They created a leader plurality in a church where the people gathered for the Lord Jesus, not the Lord Paul. Three other men are listed in Acts chapter 13 who we don't know very much about. Lead teachers and prophets, they presumably are the ones who will will now continue the lead church even in Paul and Barnabas' absence. Healthy churches are not built around the leadership or the giftings of one person. Now, that doesn't strike our church as unique or strange, but in a church growth world, when you talk about what you need to grow a church plant, what is always communicated is you need that one dynamic celebrity-style pastor that everyone revolves around, right? That's what's communicated, and that's what many churches are built around. We, we don't only want to not build ourselves around that. We want to protect ourselves against that at all costs. We're not gathered here for one human being who will die and stay dead until Jesus comes back. We gather for around one human being who died and rose again already, Right? He's the center of all that we are as a church. Now, there's several implications for us here. Firstly, for you, just looking at how this played out, for you, this means, for you personally, you can take some pressure off of yourself. Now, why do I say that? 
if Paul was not considered irreplaceable for church life in Antioch, then neither are you. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You are valuable, but you're not irreplaceable. The Lord can accomplish His will however He wills, through whoever He wills, however He wants. God is not in heaven struck with anxiety over whether a particular person, whether you get it right and figure some things out so the gospel can get to the nations. God was not fretting about what would happen with the church at Antioch. If I send Paul and Barnabas to go plant churches elsewhere, what's going to happen with Antioch? God desires you, yes, but does he need you? No, and that should be a peaceful reality, right? That the God of the universe wants you to be a part of the biggest mission in the universe. But he's not worried that you'll somehow mess it up. The truths are ordered particularly. There's a reason that the truth number two here is it puts God's mission in the truth. Because it is, in fact, God's mission, not ours. This means that you get to participate in the mission of God without being crushed by the weight of it as if it all depends on you. If God didn't need Paul or Barnabas to keep the ministry going in Antioch, he certainly doesn't need you or me to keep the work going in St. Rose. So there's a personal implication to all this, and then there's a corporate one, right? I mean, we as a church want to be the kind of church that does not believe the health or vitality of our community of faith is dependent on any one person. If we're doing our job making disciples, then what we will be as a church, we will be a church that constantly reproduces itself in the lives of others. If I'm doing my job rightly, then I am constantly trying to work myself out of the job. I'm trying to work myself into a position where I'm actually needed less, not more. If Drew's doing his job rightly, he's constantly trying to work himself out of a job. And all of us in the room, this is what disciple making is. We pour into other people so they might be able to do the same, right? We're constantly trying to replace ourselves to raise up more image bearers of the God of the universe to take the gospel to places we can't get to. And this is one of the many reasons, right, that our church is structured under a leadership of plurality of elders. We're not led by a CEO, senior pastor who calls the shots. But rather, we see in the New Testament, Acts chapter 14, verse 23, that when Paul went around to churches, what he would do is he would appoint elders in every church. We just celebrated the bringing on of one more elder last Sunday night with Ray Telsho. So there's four men uh, in our church presently who take on this responsibility, who meet these qualifications. Paul wanted to plant churches that would not just reach the nation's, but he wanted to plant churches that would also reach subsequent generations. And what that meant is a culture of discipleship and church life that did not depend on any one person, but the person of Jesus Christ. Church, I want you to hunger for the word of God preached, but I want you to hunger for the word of God preached not because of any particular preaching style, or personality. You know, this morning is my last Sunday uh, before taking a sabbatical from the preaching ministry in this church. I have done the bulk of the preaching work ministry uh, for the last seven years. 
And the Lord has blessed us in such a way as a church to where now after seven years, I'm going to be taking a break from September 11th through December 11th, and I'm not going to preach one time for three months. And you guys are going to sit under the word of God preached by multiple faithful men who love the Lord. Praise God. Right? Praise God that, that if I dropped dead tomorrow, God would not be stunned or worried about the souls of St. Rose, but that God would be using his people to spread his gospel. I've been teaching the scriptures weekly in some format for 13 years of my life, and for three months, I will take a rest to focus on the Lord on prayer, on fasting, on my family, and on the future of this church, man, I, I honestly plan to return to preaching ministry in December like a man on fire. <laughs> Having been on the mountain with Yahweh for, for three months and ready to descend and storm the gates of hell. This is not a sermon because I'm leaving and taking some other job, some other place. This is a sermon to remind us that we're just participants of a mission that's bigger than ourselves. And I leave for sabbatical today uh, after I preach the sermon, I'm, I'm not your pastor, so don't come. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I leave for a sabbatical uh, today to rest with my family. I'm not taking a break from being a Christian by any means. Uh, I'm still going to be a Christian, still going to be your friend, just not serving in that role for three months. But I leave with no concern at all for the health and spiritual vitality of this church. Now, what exactly, when we look at Antioch, we see these convictions sort of playing out. The mission is bigger than one church. The mission is bigger than one person. But what do we see the church at Antioch sending Paul and Barnabas to actually do, right? Were they going to go alleviate uh, burdens from the poor? Were they going to go do orphan ministry, with all of which are very good things? But what primarily were they being sent to do? All those ministries would be a part of what it is they were primarily being sent to do. Well, what is the mission? And this leads us to our final truth this morning, and that's truth number three. The mission of God is a church planting mission. They did not send Paul and Barnabas out to simply preach the gospel. They did not send them out to simply lead more individuals to faith in other cities. They sent Paul and Barnabas out to establish new churches that would continue the work after Paul and Barnabas leave. That's what we see in Acts 14.23. This is a, a snapshot of their ministry. They're strengthening disciples. They're traveling. Verse 23 of Acts 14. And when they had pointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here was the process. What are they being sent out to do? They enter a new place where there are no Christians. They lead people to Christ. They draw those people into churches where they can experience the grace of God and better reflect the glory of God. They disciple those people. And they appoint pastors or elders to, to keep repeating the process. The apostles heard the commission of Jesus, and they looked at a lost world, and they said, what the lost world needs and how we make disciples is through planting churches. It's through local churches that the gospel is both, both preached audibly, but it's seen and felt in the community of redeemed people, right? It's through local churches where you don't just hear that Jesus forgives you, 
you become immersed into a community of people that will forgive you like Jesus forgave, right? So you hear it, you see it, you feel it in the embrace of local churches. What our world needs is not just one more evangelist standing on a street corner. What our, what our world needs are more communities of faith that may send out evangelists to stand on a street corner. But when people come to faith, guess where they bring them to? To the place where they will see and experience the gospel in the community of faith, right? All this is God's idea for our good and his glory, right? Pastors are God's idea for our good and his glory. Deacons, Lord's Supper, baptism, church discipline, meaningful membership, the mutual responsibility we have together as the family of God the Father and the temple of God the Spirit and the body of God the, of Christ the Son and, and the bride of Christ. We, we come together by design of the same God who designed the cosmos. The world needs churches to push into the darkness of communities where untold brokenness is being experienced every day, right? Uh, it, was, it was amazing to me, even in the storm last year, how much more effective the help of local churches were than the, even the giant organizations like Red Cross were or Salvation Army were when it came time to get on the ground and do work in this community when thousands of people are displaced. With all of the money, with all the organization, with all the things that Red Cross could do, they could drop us off 100 wheelbarrows, right? They didn't know us from Adam, didn't know the needs, couldn't actually be a person like Emmanuel Community Church were who knew us, knew our needs, were here, and could, with a smiling face could keep me pressing on to the next day. How do we do disaster relief? What do we need in the world? I'm thankful for Red Cross. But what we need in the world are more local churches that care about their communities and care for one another. Even the parish recognizes that and are trying to mobilize churches for the next hurricane because they realized how much the churches were the ones in people's homes and on people's roofs. The need is great for more churches. Let's bring it a little closer to home, right? I mean, St. Rose, Louisiana, 15,000 people live in our little three square mile of swamp. I don't know how much of that three square mile is actually inhabitable, <laughs> okay? I actually looked on the map, and I'm like, man, half of that <laughs> we can't even walk through, <laughs> you know? So, so we got 15,000 people in our little three square mile of swamp. And what that means is, is that here in our church, that means we have about 1% of St. Rose's population in this room worshiping with us right now. 1%. That means there's a lot of work to do. St. Rose Community Church was planted seven years ago with about 15 people. The Lord's blessed our disciple-making efforts. We have about 150 church members now. But let me ask this question. If those 150 church members are faithful to share the gospel and make disciples over the next year, what if the Lord shows favor and he blesses each of those 150 church members to reach one person over the next year. We'd very quickly be 300. If that happens again in a year, golly, we'd very quickly be 600. Now, obviously, we're not in charge of the fruitfulness. We could share the gospel for the next five years and not see a single convert. That's not our job description. Our job description is faithfulness, not securing the fruitfulness, right? We trust God with saving people. We do what he's called us to do. But what if God decided to pour out his grace in such a way where he graced each one of us to reach one person with the gospel? We'd kind of be in a hot mess here, logistically, 
Would we not? I mean, it's kind of hot in here right now. I'm looking at this section right here. Y'all are shoulder to shoulder <laughs> right here, right? We'd kind of be in a hot mess. I mean, we can only fit 1% of the community in this community. So what would we do, right? What's the answer? How does the mission go forth? Well, if it's not about one church and it's not about one person, what's the answer to this, right? We plant more churches. We raise up more pastors and we raise up more people who will gather together and go to new places that don't have churches so that people can hear the gospel and see the gospel in those churches. That's what Paul and Barnabas were sent to do. And praise God, the Christian movement has been carried along by that for 2,000 years. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You realize that St. Rose, Louisiana is the ends of the earth from Paul and Barnabas, right? Like, like we... We always think, oh, we got to go to the ends of the earth. We're going back to where they kind of started, right? <laughs> we, we're the end of 2,000 years of faithful Christians planting churches. Praise God. Even if we steward this property, the Lord has blessed us with to the best of our ability, and we built a new sanctuary, and we expanded the parking lot, we could fit, what, 300 people? We could spend $800,000 on a building project, and maybe the Lord will lead us to do that one day to try to steward our witness in this community, but we would still now be able to reach 2% of St. Rose. So what do we do? Well, we need the Spirit of God to lead us, just as he led the church at Antioch, and I think we need the Spirit of the Lord to guide us and to speak clearly, and I think at some point in the life of our church, he will set apart some of us to be sent out to start a new church in a new place where the gospel is needed. And for some of us, that's going to mean moving to the other side of the globe to a country that desperately needs a healthy church. For some of us, that may, may mean moving to another place in the river parishes, to the distant lands of dissolvents, right? Or booty, Right? I dream of a day where sister churches throughout the river parishes, through New Orleans metro area, I dream of a day where we have sister churches that we have relationships with, that we know that they're preaching the Bible, they know, we know they're practicing meaningful membership, we know their pastoral ministry actually means something that we can recommend people to, that we can support, that we can partner with to push the gospel into the hard-to-reach places even in the city of New Orleans. It is absolutely right for us to look back at the last seven years and be amazed at what God has done and be glad. I think Barnabas looked at what God had already done and he was glad. But we should also look forward to the next seven years and we should dream about how the Lord might work. And we should be faithful with what he puts right before us and we should trust him to do the work. So let me leave you with a few takeaways this morning. A few takeaways from this message. What, how, are you, how are you to respond with this aspect of our mission as a church? Number one, number one, slay your pride. Slay your pride. It is right and good to want to be faithful to the Lord. It is good to want him to, to want to see him do great things, but if you think the mission of God is primarily about what one church can accomplish, or about some great thing you as an individual can accomplish for the Lord, for everybody else to see, be careful. If there's one thing that you need to learn well right now, if you're going to be useful in the mission of God, it's that the mission of God is not about you. It's not about making a name for our church. 
making a name for ourselves. It's not about proving our worth and value. That was proved at the cross. Jesus justified you with his own blood on the cross of crucifixion, and he doesn't need you to go on adding to what he has done. He doesn't need you to present at the end of time a resume of all the neat things you did for the glory of the Lord. Jesus already accomplished what was needed. Now on the flip side, Paul and Barnabas, or I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas were selected for that particular task. And and remember, a lot of the other people in the room were not selected for that task at that moment. On the flip side, Paul and Barnabas were not so important that Antioch couldn't survive without them right? But other people were not sent out. Only two guys in the room were sent out. This moment should have been a humbling moment for everyone involved. And I can just imagine in our scenario, especially with the seminary so close to us, you got a lot of people who are like, well, why not me? Well, it's, it's not really about you. The Spirit of the Lord said, send these two guys. So, so that's what we're going to do now. Slay your pride. Number two, sacrifice your preferences sacrifice your preferences. I'm sure there are a lot of people in the church of Antioch who would have preferred to keep Barnabas and Paul, but now they were being sent to another place. But apparently the church of Antioch was more primarily about their mutual responsibility to one another under the word of God than it was about any one particular leader. If you're the kind of person who comes to this church and you listen to the teacher and you listen to the music and you get in your car and then you give a rating to how the service went that day in the same way that you would leave a Marvel movie and you go Go home to not engage with anybody else in the church for the, last, for the rest of the week. You are not a member of the body of Christ. You are a consumer of spiritual goods once a week, and you need to repent. Members of the body of Christ come to church to use their spiritual giftings to build up the body of Christ and to worship in response to the word, no matter who preaches it. I love you. That's what you do, right? You talk hard to your kids and then you say, I love you, right? (laughs) And I've grown to love St. Rose as a place. But the Christian ministry is about sacrificing preferences. And I'm just going to be honest with you. St. Rose is not my top five places in the world to live. (laughs) It wasn't my top five places when I was 24 years old. It is not my top five now when I'm 31 years old. I'd much rather live in the North Georgia mountains where I'm from But you know what? Perhaps Paul would have rather lived in Tarsus. Perhaps he would have rather lived in Antioch. But the Christian life is not primarily about your preferences. I'll have an eternity to enjoy clean mountain air. (laughs) Right? But I only have a short time to follow the, the leading of the Spirit in my life to expand the kingdom of God, even if it means breathing in the granary every day. Right? Number three, steward the opportunities God gives you today. Steward the opportunities God gives you today. Now, this applies both to the impatient person and to the patient person. To the impatient person, let me say this. I know we live close to a seminary. We have lots of students in the room, lots of young people in the room, eager, hungry to change the world, to plant a church, to go to the nations. Let me just point this out to you. The Spirit of God spoke and said about two people in the church who had the most experience being faithful with the little things that God put in front of them. You know how it's been 13 years between when Paul was converted to this moment where he was sent out? 
That's 13 years of being faithful with whatever the Lord put in front of him before he was sent on the mission work that we would know now today as the first missionary journey that would lead to half our New Testament. Be faithful with where God has placed you. Be faithful with the moments where you can grow and learn so that you might be ready for what he's called you to. And to the stagnant person in the room that's not eager to go do anything, let me just say, prepare now for what the Spirit might say tomorrow. You don't want to be playing catch-up when the conversation with the lost person happens and you've not actually studied your word enough to know how to navigate that conversation. Be faithful. When you're changing diapers in the nursery, you may not realize that the little girl who, whom you are changing the diaper of will get the gospel to women in the deepest jungles you don't even know exist yet. Be faithful with the small things because God's working them to accomplish big things. And then lastly, last takeaway, seek the Spirit's Seek the Spirit's leading. All the Scripture says is that the Spirit said something in this text. I have no idea what exactly it would look like if the Holy Spirit said, hey guys, i got to say some stuff in this room. But this is what I know. I don't know if it was an audible voice in that moment. I don't know if it's just a preacher that stood up and preached. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Spiritual direction is sought in prayer. It's sought through fasting. And spiritual direction is always confirmed by the whole church. If you're like, I don't, I, want, I don't know how God wants to use me, one of the things I'll ask you, have you given yourself to prayer? Have you given yourself to fasting? What are the other spirit-filled people in your life and in this church saying, if you think God wants you to do something and you're the only spirit-filled person in your life that thinks that you should do it, you're probably the wrong one. Now, I don't want to say that across the board that all the time in this moment, the church says, Paul and Barnabas need to go. And they lay hands on them, they send them out, and the mission of God is accomplished. May God build his church in this place as we seek the leading of the Spirit. May he build it through us as we love the Lord, make disciples, and plant churches by his grace for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, help us to worship now. Thank you, thank you, thank you for including us in the mission of God. That is so much bigger than us. Father, we see your grace made visible in this place, and we are glad. Help us to rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond together in song.